Um, they were trying to figure out what it is that makes people connect to the outdoors because of course that's going to be a critical part of how people decide to protect our planet. And you know, so they talked to a lot of different adults about you know their memories of what connected them to nature. And in talking to kids in cities, they said that it was just being outside with the blue sky over their head they considered being in nature. And so I've been thinking about that a lot because I think maybe broadening our perspective of what being outside is to like being under a blue sky in your, your nature is a kind of cool way to look at things. If the economic impact of this is as high as it's looking to be, then I feel like nothing's simpler than just running. You could be a runner tomorrow, whether you've run 100 feet or 100 miles. Staying at home, I feel like my phone is always in my hand. I figured out all these innovative ways to stick it in my clothes so I have it, <laughs> you know, but it's like the feeling of not having it is the greatest relief of all. Being outside shouldn't feel so foreign and it shouldn't be such a luxury to have the time to just be able to go to a park or disconnect and sit down and just feel the breeze, you know? I think at the end of the day, they were all kind of defining a way to make change in the world in their own way. And it didn't have to be like, you know, solving the biggest problem there ever was. And like, that was that. It was, it could, it was really about finding people who had found a, their individual way to have a meaningful life to make change. And it didn't have to be change for the whole world. It, it would be change for someone they care about, you know, doing something way out there. But it was personal, but it was about change. That was husband and wife, Ben Clark and Marianne Potts, and this is The Wildcast. Welcome to episode 13 of The Wildcast, where we talk to ordinary people about their extraordinary lives. In this episode, we talk to Marianne Potts and Ben Clark from Ben's ancestral home in Tennessee. Marianne is, of course, the former editor of Nat Geo Adventure, and with a real wealth of and experience covering adventure and outdoor stories over the last 20 years. Ben is a filmmaker and an accomplished outdoorsman. He was the second youngest person to summit Everest many years ago and is now known for his trail running films like The Snowman Trek where they ran to 300 kilometers of Himalayan mountains in Bhutan with Anna Frost and Timothy Olsen. He also produces Run Around the World, a trail running series with Jason Slarb and Meredith Edwards. They shared me their flight from New York at the beginning of this pandemic and how they see the outdoor and adventure space evolving post-pandemic and what we can all look forward to in the adventure arena in this coming months and years. An incredibly insightful conversation with both of them, who I can say each bring a different perspective to the experience of the outdoors. Give it a listen and tune in. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on my podcast. This is a this is a brand new podcast, like like so many other podcasts that have cropped up over this this quarantine period. I'm one of those people who started a podcast uh, stuck at home in quarantine. Excellent, yeah, great idea. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you you're both very accomplished in in your fields. I mean, you're your adventure stories and and the videos that you've produced they're pretty amazing run around the world and uh 
And I, I recently watched your Ungrounded series, and that's, you know, that's pretty inspirational stuff. Oh, I feel really lucky to be able to work with some really great teams and amazing, uh, you know, people with stories. <laughs> so we were just we were just chatting about your your basically your escape from New York, and well, what was it that sort of prompted you guys to suddenly just up and leave, you know, all of a sudden, and and decide to drive all the way back home to Tennessee? Well, I was on my way to the office to film the last day of an episode of our series, Run Around the World. And all of a sudden, I got this message from a friend of mine who I was friends with uh, over Facebook that we had met in person. He had moved to New York. He had come to me seeking some advice about getting into filmmaking and we had a really long conversation in my office and he thanked me at the end of that day. Cause I guess I had given him some good advice and he's like, Hey man, I have a car. Do you think you and family would like that and would like to take that, get out of here? And I was like, what? Like, you know, I was, taking it pretty seriously because I'd seen it develop over a few months when I had traveled to Japan and China and um, the UK, you know, cancel. So at that moment, coupled with Mary Ann's experiences, going around, seeing the grocery stores empty and the pharmacy, and then all of a sudden that afternoon, seeing all these people running around New York like nothing was happening. It just felt like it was time to go. And I think trusting our instincts was really the most important thing. I just called Marianne and said, hey, I think we should get out of here. What do you think? <laughs> How'd you well, respond, Marianne? <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, we had had Jason and Meredith in town. And because of the concerns about... COVID-19, we'd been cooking dinner for them every night in our apartment, which meant, you know, going to the grocery store every day to feed runners. I mean, they, they don't right. just nibble, they are hungry. <laughs> yeah, they're the stars of that show. So we couldn't just expect for them to fend themselves in New York and not knowing the area. <laughs> well, so, so every day I would push our baby through the grocery store because the daycare was already closed and more and more there was not enough food. And you know, I had been in New York for um, the September 11th attacks in 2001, and I just moved there. I was in my first job, and when that happened, I felt really connected to New York, and I did not want to leave, but I felt completely different as a mother in a situation where it felt like the city could potentially really be under attack in a totally different but, you know, even more, um, you know, deadly way. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's extremely different because you don't see the attacker this way and it's everywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So when Ben suggested, you know, maybe we needed to get out of town, you know, what ran through my head is I don't want to be here and not have enough food for our daughter. So I was like, didn't take much to feel like that was the right thing to do that, that we would never regret more time with family if it was all going to be just fine. But um, to, to set ourselves up not to be vulnerable was important to me. 
So you just uh, packed up the car. I mean, this is a car that was just offered to you hours before, and then you packed it up <laughs> and, and just drove off. Well, we had yeah. to finish up and uh, take a few hours to pack, and we rented a car, and I said, man, you need to take that car, and you need to get out of here. <laughs> and he did, wow. and so we rented a car. But we had a car rental place just, just a block from our apartment, and so we got the car, and you know, our daughter is 18 months when we put her in that car seat and we literally did not take her out of the car the entire drive to Tennessee. She just totally understood that this was a situation that she needed to be on the team. And she, you know, was pleasant until like the last two hours and then she was reasonably tired. <laughs> wow. That's pretty amazing. How, how long was the whole drive from New York to Tennessee? Well, 14 hours. Yeah. About 14, a little over. And Ben did all the driving, and it was really like, it felt like escaping. We just wanted, we were concerned. We we just didn't know what was going to happen, so we wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. Wow, that's something. And and there was there was no blocks at the borders, like your state borders or the city borders. They no. didn't block people from leaving? or No, we kind of thought there might be, mm-hmm. but luckily there wasn't. I mean, it just seemed like we were getting out of there in the nick of time. You know, you'll understand this, JP, but we got a message from Rebecca Martin the night before that said that from Trump... From Rebecca Martin? Yeah, she, she forwarded a message to friends saying that Trump was going to uh, establish a quarantine in the next 48 hours. So we were... And then it turned out, Rebecca was like, oh, sorry, I guess that was a, that was not a real message. I trusted the person who sent it to me, but it was, it was a, a fake message. So, oh, okay. <laughs> but we were we thought it was real because coming from Rebecca, we thought, well, this yeah, woman's... of course, you know, the great yeah. Rebecca Martin sends yeah. you a message, and you you believe it. <laughs> yeah. So we were like in a movie, escaping our city, trying to dodge all the potential uh, roadblocks and things which weren't actually there. <laughs> so. And this is this is sort of before everything sort of blew up in the media, and you know. It it was like it's like a switch that just got turned on and off. I mean, it was it was off before you left, and then suddenly it's like on, and then for the whole world, it was on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It felt like it came here late, and it wasn't going to leave quickly. Yeah, and and now that you're in Tennessee, what has been like? What has been your routine there now that you've you've <laughs> moved to your your hometown? Well, Ben is training like crazy. <laughs> Not like crazy. He's doing an amazing training program here. Um, you want yeah. to tell him about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, the last couple of years, you know, I've had a lot of travel and international shoot, you know, if not every month, every other month. And JP, I know, as you know, is a parent as well, like <laughs> sleep is pretty important part to the recovery of your training. And, you know, when we're traveling all the time and doing all these things, it's difficult to get recovered from really high volume. And even if you have the time, you don't have the sleep to really recover. And I have been sleeping plenty and I did a 84 mile last or yeah, 84 mile week last week. And yeah, I'm I'm back up to like (laughs) normal, like, pro athlete training volume again and it's been nice because i'm not injured um you know things that were annoying me like my back or hip uh have 
gotten completely resolved. You know, I've had, got time to stretch. I'm out there on the trail bouncing around enough. And so, yeah, it's just been really nice. And it doesn't take any time because it's not Colorado at high altitude like I was used to. So a mix of road and some trail around, you know, 10, 11 hours a week tops and you're done. So it's been really nice to get that recovery in and not feel like a total robot. <laughs> nice. And and there's no like stay at home orders where you are, I'm assuming, because you're, you're able to go outdoors and, and do your trail runs. There were. Uh, so when we first got here, there was open. And then, let's see, two weeks later, they shut down the state parks. And I live basically, you know, just just under two kilometers from a park. And that was shut for about three weeks. And then it reopened. And I was ready. So well, it hasn't been bad. I'll just add that we're staying at Ben's parents' house, which is the house he grew up in. So these trails and these streets he's been running for his entire life. <laughs> wow. So uh, these are these are home trails for you. Yeah. And the neighborhood is asphalt, so it's got pretty decent road, which I would hate to be doing in New York, but here there's hills. So it's not like it's all right. just flat and around a track. There's hills nice. and there's lots of wildlife. Nice, so nice. It's been fun, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm that's nice. And, we also, and you, Marianne, what do you? What have you been doing this, yeah. this whole time? Well, you know, um, we start out every day with a walk, a family walk, and so Scarlett, who didn't know how to walk uphill or downhill before we got here, is now a master at going up and downhill. And so we walk out with her and pop her in her stroller, and we're bound to see deer and raccoons and fox and tons of squirrels and rabbits and birds and. All kinds of different, you know, suburban wildlife. It's pretty fun. Um, so we do that in the morning. And then, um, you know, we, like many, many people around the world, have a small child and, and no, you know, um, traditional childcare outside of our, in, our in-laws. So I spend most of my day chasing around Scarlet um, and then trying to squeeze in, writing some articles and doing some work here and there. I actually did write a, a story about Joel Sartore, since we've been here. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Which was fun. It was fun to interview him right at the beginning of, uh, you know, and he lives in Nebraska, which never did any kind of stay at home order. So, but he said, of course, with his background and um, having actually, you know, documented the world's species and been to all the different markets and wet markets of the world, he, he and his family were staying at home and he was finally going to clean out his basement. Like his wife always wanted him to do it was his camera gear. But so um, it's been definitely really different, you know, because I think we're used to being these professionals with this kind of life that's all set up. But once the blocks start crumbling, you realize you're going to get a lot less done. But it's really meaningful time with your family, especially with our sweet daughter, who's at such a precious, precious age. So, um, yeah, it's been a very interesting time. So this has been something of a blessing for both of you i mean ben can now train and and you can spend much more time with your daughter and and time with family really and i think this is sort of something echoed around the world for people who have stayed at home i mean for me i spend more time with my parents now that i'm 
I'm stuck at home. And I think this is something that's shared by probably 90% of the people in lockdown at the moment. And it's a good yeah. thing because, you know, we never, I think in American society, we don't really prioritize there ever being a time where you might live with your parents again after the age of 18. And to suddenly find ourselves here, you know, other than a holiday and getting to hang out with my parents. I mean, you, we can function. We aren't fighting. We're not uh, tripping over each other. We're, you know, to have a division of labor. I cook at night. I do the cleaning. I do my work as much as I can. I try to cover for Marianne where I can. And then my mom has got this great relationship now with Scarlett, our daughter, and then with Marianne. And my dad has that too. And, and he's getting some work done. So, you know, to do something that's more like what some of the Asian cultures that I've been exposed to for so many years or African cultures or maybe in South exactly. America. For us, this is completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> and to hear you say that, it's like, yeah, it's, it is completely normal for like a huge amount of people in the world. And here we're getting to experience that. And it's made the displacement from New York City just better. You know, we have the same fears as anybody that we aren't going to be able to go back there for a while. But to know that we've had this really unique opportunity in American life to do something that we are probably envious, you know, would be the best way to describe of so many of the people that I've met across the globe uh, because they have this greater and more rich understanding of family. And we're not tired of each other, so it's even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's and and I know you left your work in New York and and how has this affected your your business? I, do you still both work on different things or do you work together on on the on the production company? I mean, right now we're doing distribution for like the Ungrounded series you talked about earlier, and basically, I mean all all of my shoots are canceled for the rest of the year. I mean, there might be a trip to Australia, maybe South Africa later in the year, but everything I had going on, uh, filming the ultra trail world tour, doing run around the world, shooting some more episodes of ungrounded a feature film. It's all postponed until we can travel again. And yeah, Marianne, she stayed pretty busy, but you know, media right now is just like hurting for content, but also hurting for ad budgets. So you're sort of in this complicated system where at some point we're either going to run out of work or we're just going to start getting a ton of work again and it'll start back up. Hard to tell. Well, one Sort thing, of a chicken and egg, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Ben had this incredible schedule of races, both for his series and for, um, just shooting, you know, the world's most incredible locations at these incredible races. And it was going to be a, a grueling schedule. So it's, of course, disappointing that all those races have been canceled. But at the same time, you know, we've been having really great family time together because we all yeah. are here. So, it, like you said, it is there are many blessings in all of this. Yeah. And how, how it looks on the other end, we'll just see. <laughs> we'll right. see. I think that's that's the only thing we can say for now. I mean, really, is 
is we'll just have to wait and see because nobody really knows what it's going to look like after six months or 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 twelve months of of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No idea. <laughs> yeah, and and for this year, I mean, any big adventure is literally it's canceled. I mean, I had to cancel our own race right. twice yeah. this year, so it's it's um it's something that. I've never had to do in the last 10 years. It's the first time we've had to totally mm-hmm. cancel the race for the year. Yeah. But for everyone, I mean, UTMB just announced yesterday that they're canceling the UTMB for the year as well. So it's it's a global thing. And I don't know, um, some races will survive, some won't. Uh, even the Tour de France is probably mm. not going to go through. And that's going to be quite quite significant for that industry. Yeah. Hopefully people will still be excited on the other side, you know. Yeah. They'll, they'll we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for for most there's going to be this pent up excitement to get outside, to get back to the races and get back to, you know, all those big adventures that that we all used to have. But there's also an apprehension on what those big adventures are going to look like. Nobody really knows how like for us, we're already thinking of how we're going to retool our race for this, you know, being socially distant. We might not have mass starts anymore and 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 have just virtual race briefings and all of that. So th- these are things that probably will change for, for adventure and travel. I mean, just getting on a plane now is a little scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, every time I watch a movie, and at one point, the movie Grease, JP, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's classic American movie of high schoolers and singing. Grease, yes, yeah, of yeah. course, okay. I've seen it. Okay, great. Well, so, you know, it came on TV, and, like, there's the big high school dance scene, and I guess you got tears in my eyes, because I hope that we will be able to, as, you know, human beings, be able to be, you know, in life with each other again. <laughs> without social distance you know but i know that might not be for a while but i hope someday <laughs> hmm. i hope someday yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's an unusual situation we find ourselves in where here where we are now everyone's mandated to wear a mask outside mm-hmm. i don't know how it is in the states there's there's like this whole controversy around masks there yeah, but totally but but <laughs> here you go out you can only see the eyes of people mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. but but surprisingly enough like i go to I go to our local market and I ha- I go to my regular, you know, my regular, we call them suke, the, the people we go to to buy our stuff. The same people we go to to buy our stuff all the time. Uh-huh. And, and they recognize me even with the mask oh. and, you know, like with all of that. And they're like, oh, hey, sir, you know, it's been a while. We haven't seen you. But so even, even with the mask, people, you're still able to get those visual cues of, recognizing your community recognizing the people who are your friends who are your your part of your community and that's sort of for me that's interesting and also like it's calming to me that oh we're not strangers even with these masks on yeah Yeah. and that's like a beautiful thing about people how when something like this happens we still got to help each other and we don't have to we could be distant but not completely just cold and closed off you know yeah and like both of you have been in the you know the adventure space over the last 20 years or so Mm -hmm. how do you think it's going to change um 
just your own personal opinions on how this whole situation is going to change, how adventure is done in the U.S. or internationally. Hmm. Marianne, you should take that one first. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, so, you know, Ben and I both have been doing this for a long time, and we always kind of joke about how our experiences kind of complement each other and don't overlap too much. So I think we'll have different answers. Um, you know, one thing that gives me some optimism is that, you know, in the U.S. where people were so concerned that kids were spending too much time on their screens, and that's definitely a big thing now because, of course, even school is on a screen for online learning for all these kids who got uh, their school years changed abruptly. But, um, you know, there is also a lot, and I see it in this neighborhood, where you see kids hanging out outside again. And I know the U.S., it sounds like in Europe and other places, this whole going outside thing has not been a problem. But in the U.S., it has been a problem where kids have not been interested in going outdoors. And so I do hope that, you know, this is the boredom and the, like, desire to get away from your mom and dad or whatever <laughs> is going to help, like, a new generation of kids kind of find their way outside. And that, you know, it doesn't have to be going to do some sort of organized hike. But just, you know, with, with Scarlett, she and I spent all this time just, like, looking at the bugs and looking at the plants and I'm hopeful that there is maybe a, a more kind of um, outdoor recreation style. And I say recreation meaning like not so much like big competitive adventures, but just this idea that people might go and be with their family and friends doing light adventure outside, whether that's camping nearby or getting it. I, I just watched a family cleaning out their RV in the, in the neighborhood yesterday. So like that just that there might be this idea of going outside doesn't have to be intimidating. It's just out your door and you can enjoy being outside um, in a way that is less about like having these super high tech shoes and super high tech packs, but just kind of getting out in nature. And then, you know, probably the evolution of that is the more you get out, um, the more you kind of want to try something a little bit more challenging. And um, I was actually talking to some researchers at Harvard, who were working on an outdoor survey earlier this year, and they said um, they were trying to figure out what it is that makes people connect to the outdoors, because, of course, that's going to be a critical part of how people decide to protect our planet. And, you know, so they had talked to a lot of different adults about, you know, their memories of what connected them to nature. And it was interesting because they said in talking to, you know, and it was adults and children, people of different ages, but in talking to kids in cities, they said that it was just being outside with the blue sky over their head, they considered being in nature. And so I've been thinking about that a lot because I think maybe broadening our perspective of what being outside is to like being under a blue sky and you're, you're in nature is a kind of cool way to look at things. Um, that's a that's a really good insight because um like now i have i have my nephews next door and they're normally they're on their ipads and, and their computers and mm -hmm. and during this whole we're, we're we've been in lockdown for almost three months now and they've been camping in the yard of course. I've, I've, I've been seeing them you know they set up their tent camping in the yard i've been seeing them playing in the gardens and and you're right you know like Sometimes we tend to package the outdoors as this extreme sport. And even for Asians, actually, the outdoors is already an extreme sport because Asians tend to be more of an indoor people in general. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, what you're saying that people are getting all this eye fatigue from looking at the computer and, and, and there's going to be a whole 
I think there's going to be this whole drive, this whole market for you know, outdoor education, outdoor experience after this, especially since people are locked down at home. Their kids mm-hmm. are locked down at home. Yeah. Well, I hope so. <laughs> and Ben, what do you think of the... I mean, what, how do you think this is going to impact well, the adventure industry? You know, I feel like people are going to handle it maybe three different ways. And, you know, one would be the people that didn't think they could ever climb the 8,000 meter or 7,000 meter peaks in the Himalayas because they'd never have the time or they might get bored. Um, they're going to find that if they didn't get completely bored at home, they probably wouldn't get bored sitting for four weeks in front of some giant peak. (laughs) So, you know, hopefully we'll see some people really motivated to go do expeditions again Um, and mountaineering. You know, I think that mountaineering has taken a real hit in the last 20 years because it just hasn't been a very sexy sport. But the idea of going somewhere and just disconnecting for a long time in nature uh, that way and being comfortable with that isolation, I think, is something that is very hard to train for. And everyone just did it. So that would be my secret wish. Um, The other two ways, which are probably more practical, is that uh, the U.S. is actually running out of bicycles for people to, to buy. So I saw that. I saw yeah. that one. So I'm hoping in the it's US, happening here too now. Is it? Well, yeah. I hope that more people will use that to spend less time in the car and see where they can power themselves to go and what that inspires. And ideally, those that are on trails or getting out there on the gravel country roads are discovering a new sense of fitness and of independence um, and confidence and might, you know, end up being part of a a boom in that type of travel and mountain biking specifically because we'll probably see more people trying to get away from the population centers to practice social distancing. So I think it could be a great time for that type of um, cardio and sport and the same probably for running in that degree, you know, if the economic impact of this is as high as it's looking to be, then I feel like nothing's simpler than just running. You might need a new pair of shoes and you might, you know, want some tips or training or a water bottle or some other things, but you can start, you can be a runner tomorrow whether you've run a hundred feet or a hundred miles. And so I hope that those types of folks that are out there experiencing that on the, on foot and on bikes decide that gives them a base for adventure. And then the third way I think might be that there's going to be a lot of people who really are going to be lacking confidence and lacking fitness and really lacking nutrition And a lot of those factors are going to come down to, um, you know, mental health. I would imagine financial health because so many people across the globe have lost their income. And, you know, whether you like it or not, you've got to feel somewhat secure to go take the type of risk that you need to take as an adventurer. 
And without proper health care in a lot of the places that you may go do this stuff, I think that, you know, the confidence level to go take a big risk on a rock climb or a ski descent is going to get toned down, you know, internationally because no one wants to go to the hospital right now. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be fighting a wave of um, major major, crazy, innovative, wild, extreme sports. I don't see that happening for a while. And that wave being brought down by this new genre of cardio freaks <laughs> that are out there running and pedaling their way around to avoid pure boredom. And we'll see. We'll see if I'm right about the 8,000-meter people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right, though. I I did notice that there's been a real decline in mountaineering and mm -hmm. in general, like camping outdoors has been much less. I mean, even here where we are, it's, it's grown more towards, you know, the trail running, the mountain biking where you can go out and come back in the day yeah. or stay in a hotel, come back there. The, the whole going out into the mountains, spending days in nature, even for myself. I mean, I've, we used to do all of these long treks. Um, yeah like you know two weeks three week treks uh annapurna or or in the alps and mm. and now over the last two or three years i've just been doing a lot of you know really long trail runs <laughs> which me, are, me too <laughs> which which have been you know they've been really nice but it's it's a really different feeling from being out in the mountains you know in camp in a tent it's a really slow pace and you're completely disconnected from the outside world really and you're right you know that's that's something that may and i hope it will come back i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of people who want to be outside who want to be disconnected from i mean every single day you open your phone you open the computer just it's just bad news oh yeah it's damage <laughs> report every day <laughs> it's damage report it's fake news it's trolls whatever you know and and it's just really depressing in and I think there's just going to be this whole drive to disconnect I and mean, disconnect from this whole situation and getting outdoors into the mountains and hiking and camping is one of those, the ways that we're going to be able to do that. Yeah, it's fundamental who we are. I mean, you know, being outside shouldn't feel so foreign and right. it shouldn't be such a luxury to have the time to just be able to go to a park or disconnect and sit down and just feel the breeze, you know? And people probably need it more than ever now. Um, I think with our staying at home, I feel like my phone is always in my hand. I figured out all these innovative ways to stick it in my clothes so I have it, <laughs> you know? But it's like the feeling of not having it is the greatest relief of all. So if you need to be in a on a trail where there's no signal, so it's just a worthless weight to carry around that hopefully uh lots of people will feel the benefits of of that disconnection in a way that they wouldn't have had the chance to before exactly um you know here uh in the next town not in my town <laughs> about five kilometers away from me they just started allowing people outside but you needed Oof. to apply for for a pass oh basically to, to exercise and the line was really, really long for, mm. for this pass. There's like maybe 200 people a day oh my gosh. Getting, getting passes just to get outdoors and exercise and, 
you know, we live in the mountains and there are trails where we are and, you know, um, forests where we are. So, so a lot of people now are, are going outdoors that previously didn't. Like, I mean, for instance, my mother is one of, it's always my example for this is she's, she doesn't exercise at, at all. <laughs> yeah. That's, my dad doesn't really get into it. He's got a heart condition. Yeah, and this this whole pandemic, she started like going out, getting sunlight. We live in a compound which has trees and everything. So so she's been, you know, walking around the compound, getting her own exercise. And I think that's that's the same thing for a lot of people now. And there because there's it's it's both fear of, of getting sick and also realizing that hey, you know, I have to take care of my health a lot better. Mm-hmm. And so so you're right, you know, there's there's there might be like a big drive for all these carjo people going out. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> yeah. And like for this, you know, a lot of a lot of things have also been happening in the travel side of this where a lot of the airlines are going bankrupt. Thai Airways here, which is one of the largest airlines in Asia, one of the best airlines here. Thai Airways. Um, yeah, Thai They're Airways is, is closing down. It's, uh, it's well, they're, they're going into into bankruptcy um, just last week, and and so, how do you think this whole situation can become a driver for more sustainable travel? I, I know for a fact that I think I've talked to a lot of people here, and everybody's just thinking of traveling locally, and, and it's not even locally across the Philippines. It's more locally in your own region, like this small region where you are. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that will translate to, I mean, the rest of the world? Well, I think that a lot of people were unnecessarily traveling. I mean, I was traveling for work every time. Uh, unless we went to Colorado, it was always for work. And half the time we were going there for to Colorado was for work as well. And I think that we'll see hopefully fewer people hopping on these international flights to meet with people that they don't necessarily need to. Um, You know, a lot of the domestic flying, I think people are going to find was pretty unnecessary. If you don't even have to be in the office with the 12 people on your team, you certainly don't need to fly to California to meet with them. So I think we're going to see much more sustainable efforts to curb travel and the case studies being made right now. I mean, if people aren't going, I'm sure a lot of these companies are looking at their bottom line and saying, well, we're saving a lot there. And gas is cheap, but there's so few flights. Prices are still high in some places. So demand and supply are going to probably, you know, get us a bit once it starts to really start back up again. I got some credits with United and some uh, good status all the way through 2021 now. But, I mean, until I start flying, I have no clue how that's going to feel, you know? Well, I think from the um, kind of travel for work perspective, I know there was a certain point when I was at NetGeo where I felt like it was a sign of being successful that I had to travel all the time. And that was going to film festivals and going down back and forth between New York and D.C., and, uh, you know, it made me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing important things because I have to travel all the time. And it was completely exhausting. 
Um, and actually something I could probably only do because I was single, you know, and didn't have a family. But I think now, you know, and I was usually um, reporting into remotely at that point anyhow. But I think what I've come to learn is that all that travel is exhausting <laughs> when it's not travel for like something you, you know, are doing to fulfill your your soul and your like vacation needs or whatever. But when you're just traveling to work, it's exhausting, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's encouraging to me to see that businesses are, yeah, they're realizing actually if we work at it, we can be effective as these remote teams. I think it will change um, the way the teams look because not everybody has to be in Washington, D.C. or wherever else. To, so you'll have kind of a, a more diverse type of hiring ability, uh, which could be really exciting. Um, and that, you know, yeah, that we just can save our energy for the things we really like to do and not just some sort of... Uh, feather in your cap that you have all the miles to although ben has all the miles and i greatly appreciate it because our whole family can check more luggage <laughs> because of it yeah, i earned them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and and you've you've both sort of worked with uh a lot of great athletes a, gr- a lot of great explorers um what how has this affected them i mean these are people who basically make a living being outdoors, you know, being mm-hmm. outside all the time, like Jason Schlarb and and uh, Caroline, Caroline Glitch. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they make a living being outdoors, right? I mean, being outside. How has this whole thing uh, affected them? Well, I think that the isolation is hard on everybody mm-hmm. because, you know, some of these great and incredible talents – kind of feed off the energy of competition or, you know, like Caroline, for instance, does a lot of um, political activism. So she's out there having to be at rallies or doing a lot of speaking on college campuses. And so, you know, somebody like that who's purpose-driven year-long and then has an expedition or something that requires some foreign travel being shut down, it, it just sort of becomes like a what do you do? Like, you know, you can only train so much from home. And yeah, I feel like what we're seeing, you know, checking in with folks, people are struggling with, you know, the measures of isolation as much as anybody else and finding it positive and negative, but not having the opportunities to go places is just a really hard thing to get past. And especially like with the running stuff, I mean, you're training for your A race, your B race. You, I mean, you know, you've got mm-hmm. several different points throughout the year that you're trying to peak. And now you're just like steadily training. <laughs> there is there is no peak. There is no <laughs> athletic endeavor. And for the skiers, I mean, boy, did they ever get like cut short this season. Um, you know, no one's going to have the funds suddenly released from their sponsors to go down to South America should everything just pop open and start skiing for the summer. So, yeah, a lot of people I feel like are going to look back at it and just wonder where their goals went and also their finances because there's only so long that the brands are going to be able to carry people that, you know, aren't producing anything. And there's only so many social media hashtags you can throw out there uh, or like at-home training 
things or dishes you can make in your kitchen before people are just like, whatever, I can do this myself, and they just lose their interest. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that are making people kind of feel a little lonely and a little um, just, like, lost. But Well, and I, I was chatting with uh, Hillary Nelson this week, um, and she said that, you know, of course, as the captain of the North Face athlete team, she said, actually, there are no exhibitions this year. They are, have all been canceled. There, nobody's going out on anything. And I thought, like, wow, wow. And she, um, well, and so that impacts her, too, of course. And she's been on just an amazing clip of knocking out these incredible prizes in um, alpinism and skiing. And so, you know, but it just made me think, like, wow, you know, as a as an editor, writer, well, where are my stories? You know, you're going to have to think about it differently to have something to write about. <laughs> because the whole cycle kind of is is the wheels not turning right now. So I do wonder what that's going to look like. Um, and that's true, isn't it? Um, what is National Geographic writing about now in terms of adventure? Is it like adventure at home or well, <laughs> like you know, these other adventure companies? You know, I'm no longer at NetGeo, so I don't know. But I, I do know that before all this happened, even there was a kind of backing away from regular coverage of the outdoors. So um, that... So I don't know what that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. They definitely like those big, you know, sexy expeditions. So um, unless, but even they're not sending people, I don't think, because it's not safe to go out on those expeditions. Yeah, so. Exactly. And, and like you said, like producing the content um, for both, like, like what both of you said, I'm mean, mm -hmm. producing the content for for the magazines and, and the publications and also for the brands now, it's becoming incredibly difficult because nobody can go out and produce that content. Nobody, Everybody's at home. Everybody's in their home areas. And have you seen any of the athletes or explorers do something that, you know, caught your eye in terms of, of producing something that's worth um, distributing in terms of content? Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't seen anything, like, really original. You know, there was some really cool stop-motion stuff that was just sort of, you know, people dealing with boredom and daydreaming about the adventures they might have, like climbing a mountain or riding a bike. Um, but, you know, unless you, like, live in Antarctica, it's hard <laughs> to <laughs> find anything that out there to sort of explore in terms of traditional marketing and storytelling in North America. I think globally, so many people in Europe were on lockdown that, I mean, I've seen people who were fierce alpinists that are like getting, you know, really run around by their children and just having a hard time getting them you know, in the bath at night. <laughs> so <laughs> the types of things I've been seeing people struggle with are just more human. And I don't really know, like, that's interesting to me because I can appreciate that. But in terms of if me being between the ages of 18 and, you know, 30, when I'm most primed to want to go out and take those kind of big risks and do the big line, um, I 
I just don't even know what I do with myself. And I don't know what those folks are like doing other than sort of going through the archives, uh, rediscovering the past, doing some Facebook lives and answering questions. I mean, hopefully they're getting some insight into where the next adventures might be, but completely unable to plan anything at all. So, yeah. I've seen one story that has made uh, like national news uh, here, but I approach it with such a you know, jaded uh, lack of enthusiasm. It's this guy who is in New York City and he's like running a 100-mile race in his apartment. But it's funny, the reason why I'm so jaded about that is that, and also, that's cool, that's great, you know. But before all this happened, Ben has this writer friend who sometimes sends me pitches who had talked about someone in China doing that like months earlier. So I was like, oh, I've heard that one before. (laughs) Someone did it here in in the Philippines. Well, so... Uh, so I, sometimes I feel like, oh, it's it's tough to be so jaded because these are still really cool things, but it's like, oh, I heard it before. <laughs> but <laughs> like most good. people haven't heard it before. So it is really uh, novel and, and like a creative approach. But apparently every, every country has their 100-mile apartment runner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a guy in Malaysia who I know who actually ran like 200 miles, I think. <laughs> In oh, his wow. apartment. Oh my God. Which is, I mean, the distance, the, the loop was like 20 meters or something, uh-huh. which, which was crazy. And he said, like, oh, it's great because I can open my ref at any time and you know, grab a beer or something <laughs> like that. Well, I saw Ryan Sandys did a 100 mile run around his house. And he has a beautiful house, though. You've That's what it. I thought. I was like, wait a minute. Dude, you're living too large for a guy who runs. Like, if you can run 100 miles around your house, you're, you're the, one of the like, best marketers in the world on top of being a great runner. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I, I was watching last night, I was watching some of your Ungrounded, that new series you started. And it's really like a... I think it's like a series about inspiration, you know. Yeah. And and you know, you've both you've both basically worked with a lot of inspirational people over the years. And what is it that that you find in all of these people that that makes them so inspiring? What 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 is the similarity and what's the differences between the people you choose to interview, the people you've talked to over the years that that creates this inspiration for all the people? Hmm. Ben, I think you should answer that one first. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, for me, I, you know, really love adventure because exploring is like really what I want to be doing most of the time. And, you know, having two children now, I'm not as keen to go out and spend my time doing that when I could hang out with them or Mary Ann. And yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought there. Ask the question again. I mean, essentially like what, what inspires you to, to after talking to these people, often, oftentimes, and I've, I've done about 10, 10 to 12 interviews uh, on this podcast. And I always come off the podcast quite inspired by the work of the people like you or people I've talked to. And what is it like you've learned from all of these people that you've, you've worked with? 
I could see why I lost my train of thought now because I immediately started thinking of my children. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can take a stab at that one first. And, um, you know, and of course, like for me, the the greatest sort of professional joy of my life was uh, running the Adventures of the Year program. And uh, what I loved about that was, of course, being able to find so many people uh, doing amazing things. But I think at the end of the day, they were all kind of defining a way to make change in the world in their own way. And it didn't have to be like, you know, solving the biggest problem there ever was. And like, that was that it was, it could, it was really about finding people who had found a, their individual way to have a meaningful life. And of course this was through the lens of outdoor adventure, but to make change and it didn't have to be changed for the whole world. It, it would be changed for someone they care about, you know, doing something way out there, but it was personal, but it was about change. And I think that when I am trying to find stories to tell, I'm, I'm trying to find people who have captured that goal of change and are, are interpreting it and taking those steps toward it, whatever that means. And to me, that's really inspiring. And I find as I am, now I'm a mom, which I love being a mom. It's the greatest joy to have the chance to be a parent. Um, but it definitely changes also how I'm interested in, in understanding what those changes can be. And so, um, you know, I think whether it's Alex Honnold, who's of course incredibly iconic and he's figuring out all kinds of different ways to bring change to the world, even through his foundation, which is all about sustainable energy and, you know, so he's been able to do a lot, but then I think of also someone like Stacy Bear, who you know through veterans expeditions was able to really uh, bring change to people he who either he knows personally or knows the experience of being um, someone who's come back from combat. So and using the outdoors to build community. So for me, it's finding those stories like that that makes it all feel like okay, that's what we're here to do. What's, we're here to shine a light on those guys. Nice, nice, yeah. I think for me, it's more or less like I got sidetracked because I always think of my kids and they inspire me so much to challenge myself these days in these different ways. But before I had my feet on the ground, you know, I would do, I would did a lot of exploring in the Himalayas and climbing and skiing and then got into the ultra running. And so distance and altitude, like all those things are things that I really connect with and really love deeply in my spirit and being able to maybe help other people who are undergoing a transformation of character through some sort of a physical challenge out there and they're being forced to make some difficult choices or some easy choices that can be highly consequential. You know, it's really like, I feel like it's, the best way for me maybe to provide purpose in my life to help them translate that now. You know, I can understand where they've been. I can understand what they've been doing. And it's fun to have the discussions with them, but to be able to help them lead this bold and sometimes iconic vision that they've got to a person who doesn't understand what they do or doesn't understand why it's important or hasn't got 30 years of experience skiing the Alps. Um, I think it's fun to be in the middle of that because when I'm directing a film, 
I get to experience so much time seeing what they saw and, you know, picking the footage and, you know, hearing the sounds and then going back and getting an in-depth conversation with them about something that I'm really excited about and dorky about and want to know more about. And so, yeah, I find like, that's why these inspirational people are people that I'm continuing to, I guess, just be around and continue to seek is that, you know, I feel like the people out there who aren't into it yet, which is where I started as a guy from Tennessee, still need to find that story that connects to them. And I don't think that these amazing explorers are always the best at communicating that through every channel. And at least when it comes to motion and video and film that I'm able to help in that way. And it feels good to have a purpose like that. And instead of spending my time going out and doing like one thing a year, that's really big and then trying to make a movie, I would rather do 20 movies, you know, 20 short things or a series because it's just really imperative to me that I live a life that provides a purpose and inspiration for my kids because later when they want to know about this stuff, instead of just having to hear it firsthand from me, I can point them to all these other personalities and people who have done things and they can try and learn it from them. And it feels good to be able to be a part of a community like that and to see the psych and inspiration on the ground from people and then also to watch a sense of relief kind of wash over these explorers as they feel what it's like to have someone at least get it and understand um, this really high-level concept or exploratory thing they've done. And that person being someone who's not a fan of them or doesn't understand it first. Okay. That's, that's really interesting that you say. Is this is this one of the reasons you've chosen Jason as he's sort of like your muse in a way? <laughs> I, I, I noticed in your in your films, and he does have that similar arc of what you're talking about, like having being sort of misunderstood and and having a difficult time to tell his own story and and all of that. And you you're doing it for him essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think of him as somebody who, you know, he just like the series, I think, has really been great because he's someone who would say yes to a lot of adventures and he didn't waste a lot of time on telling the story. And, you know, I went on one trip with him to a place that I wanted to revisit in Western China for our first episode. Because I had been there, uh, let's see, 12 years before, putting up new routes on big walls and couldn't believe that there was going to be an ultra marathon in that valley because it had been. Was this in Gaoligong? What's that? Gaoligong, the Gaoligong race? Was it? Uh, no, it was the uh, Mount Sagunyong uh, in the Champingo Valley in uh, western China in, in uh, Sichuan. And so I went and did that with him and Meredith and then had these great visuals. And I was like, well, I'll see if I can make a short piece out of this and see where that goes. And 
you know, Red Bull passed on it. And I find whenever Red Bull passes on something, it's going to be the biggest success of my life uh, every time. <laughs> and the, uh, you know, idea that his sponsors would be interested in it was kind of floated. And then we talked and I said, well, let's go make another one. And then we made that one. And then I said, well, let's go make another one. And then we made that one. And to that point, we've been to China twice. We went to Oman. And then we decided we'd go to Argentina. We started to bring on some other sponsors. And it just happened. And it was organic. And it was funded. And we didn't have to make these huge investments into it. And so, yeah, I mean, working with him has been a real pleasure because he's a really well-spoken guy that just needed a camera aimed on him. And he's, you know, clear about it. And Meredith, his co-host, is the same way. I mean, she's someone who really loves the sport, loves training, is an athlete to the core, and likes to talk about it. But we just weren't seeing a, a female-driven character out there doing this more than once or twice a year in marketing videos. That's and, right. In, in trail running especially, it's mostly male-dominated, isn't it? Right. You never see, you might have seen three or four pieces on Anna Frost, but now there's more on Meredith than anywhere. And, you know, when I think of somebody like Hillary Nelson and this film we made last year, The Line Between Good and Evil, she had spent 20 years trying to climb this peak in India and she sent it. And I approached her knowing what she'd done was just absolutely insane and it was very similar to the style of climbing that me and my climbing partners were always trying to push in the Himalayas and so you know I did that one with very little budget and it got into all these film festivals because North Face eventually gave us money to make it really nice for the theater but it was just sort of like you know the muse there was really understanding the accomplishment that she had uncovered there uh, and that 20 year commitment that she had and these three expeditions she had to going to, to climb in this thing. And so she's a great friend, but the mountain and the pursuit of that uh, first ski descent was like the muse. So sometimes people are there to help me rediscover a place and teach me something and I just get to be the translator for them. And in some cases, like Jason and Meredith, it's like, well, I go to them and I say, I've got this time in my schedule. What do you guys want to do next year? What are your A races? And we try to figure out what will work. And sometimes I'll throw some ideas out there and we'll go do what I want to do. But probably two-thirds of the time, they already have some great plans that I would love to be a part of and appreciate being a part of. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just grateful either way to have, you know, such awesome folks in the world that want to involve me in stuff and give me the opportunity to share the story. Yep. Nice. Thank you for that. And um, I think this is probably a good place to, to end this whole conversation. Um, just one, a few last questions. What are you looking forward to doing like um, after this whole thing is over? What's, what's, what's next for you? Or are you just in a wait and see, wait and see? Or, or are you planning something for, for next year? 
Well, I'll just, uh, this is like a lofty goal, but um, when Ben and I got married, we had wanted to do our honeymoon in Yosemite, which is a national park neither one of us has been to. (laughs) (laughs) And life was so busy and we couldn't go then. And then we were, we thought we'd go, um, we thought we'd go before we had the baby and that didn't happen. And so I guess as like a, I'm just going to throw it out to the universe right now as I hope we go to Yosemite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's that like, awesome. there's no plan for it, but we're at a point point where you can't plan anything. So maybe we will just say we're planning <laughs> to go to Yosemite. <laughs> yep. Well, and yeah. Ben, do you have any like last words you'd like to share here? Yeah. I mean, I'm really grateful for, all the things that have led to this point. And, you know, if there's anything they've taught me, it's just that this time will be a time of chaos. I told myself that there was going to be a threshold we crossed and it was just going to be chaos. And I wasn't going to make any big decisions. I wasn't going to spend all this time, you know, looking at plane tickets and dealing with logistics and trying to fight the situation. And I'm really glad I didn't. I feel happier. You know, I have no confirmed work, you know, ultimately for any part past the summer. And I haven't been in that situation since I was eight years old. So, you know, we'll just see. But I know that it's a time that where sometimes you have a a lack of maybe your career or the things that you've been doing for so much time but you have an abundance of something else. And this family time was something we were working for anyway. If we take it all at once, we got it. You know, it's better than not getting it or trying to spread it out over the next 20 years. So I hope other people can find comfort in sort of not feeling so uncomfortable with being grounded and so uncomfortable with what's coming tomorrow. It's, just as daunting to me now as it was when I got into my career and it's probably going to be that hard until I'm done doing it <laughs> so we'll just live with it <laughs> right. uh, thank you very much for both of you for giving me the time today and I mean really insightful discussion uh, thank you both your lives you. and your work you know um, and I think uh, probably most Filipinos won't know who you are. So no sweat. We're, 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 we're introducing you to the Philippines. I have hey. about 50 followers now or something. Nice. On so this is growing. And thank you so much. I think they really hit it on the nail there. Really talking about how adventures in the next year or so post-pandemic will be close to home. I mean, it can be as simple as simply going outside and like Marianne said, just experiencing the blue sky above you means getting outdoors. And I really do hope that this pandemic gets more people outside, makes more people realize the importance of open spaces, of forests, of outdoor areas, and the real need to protect all of these areas because this isn't going to be the first pandemic, it's not going to be the last pandemic, and we really need to plan for a future, for humanity together, you know, not just 
people who live in big subdivisions or big compounds and have access to country clubs with golf courses and open space. I think this is something that we should really consider that outdoors is for everyone. Outdoors should be more accessible to everyone, whatever social class you may be. So thank you very much for listening to the Wildcast. This is episode 13. And we really look forward to bring you so much more stories with so many more interesting people. If you haven't subscribed, please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We're on many different platforms now. Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. Uh, Essentially, anywhere you need to get your podcast, we're there. So share these stories with your friends insightful conversations with real people who have vast experience from all over the world. Thank you so much. Next week on the Wildcast, I talk to Koi Gray, intrepid Filipino explorer, trail runner, and a really nice guy actually. I've known Koi for about five years now, and he's also a member of our our team, our, our adventure team, the Cordillera Conservation Trust adventure team. And Koi has, as, as many people know, he's racked up a number of wins in trail running. But I think uh, not many people really know the background of Koi. And this conversation with him dives deep into who Koi Gray is and what made him who he is today. So look forward to that next Wednesday on the Wildcast.